We are beginning a brand new series on the book of Titus, and we're titling the series, Learning to Walk in Christ's Likeness. My name is Vidal, and I want to welcome you and thanking you for definitely coming, joining the conversation. Whatever venue you're using today, there is video, audio. Uh, thank you guys for simply subscribing. Thank you for liking it. And if you're generous today, obviously, a little bit more generous. If you like to share uh, this broadcast, we're going to be so appreciative of that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Through the years of pastoral ministry, one of the things, one of the habits, one of the strategies that we created that the Lord allows us to do in the local church was exactly to do a series every single January that we, we titled the series, um, The State of the Union. And it has to do with simply casting, um, I guess, just bringing that vision casting into the conversation of what the church is supposed to be and the church is supposed to do. And we typically use that series in January, once again, to set the direction for the year, uh, to reintroduce, once again, the principles of the Bible when it comes to being and doing for the local church. The implication of that is like everyone else, every family, every Christian, every person in the world, we typically lose balance. We, we need to be realigned when it comes to, uh, again, the centrality and the focus of what the Scripture says and what the Scripture means. The implication also has to do that if we do get and we lose our alignment with the Bible, by default, we start bringing the conversation, whether it's church, life, um, finances, relationships, within our own and personal understanding or personal preferences. And this is why in January, every January, we try to do that reintroduction by simply bringing the conversation of the state of the union for the church. Well, as a pastor, I, again, I was able to do that for many, many years. And, and even today, as I get to speak in churches and I get the privilege to, uh, again, reintroduce the gospel, I take advantage of every single opportunity. And this is why, when, it's, when specifically when we launch into New Testament books, or when we launch into conversation that has to do with the church specifically, which this is one of them, the book of Titus. The, the, the Titus is one of those letters that has to do with pastoral letters. We believe historically that these are some of the letters that Paul wrote to specific individuals that these letters are going to be read across the churches and many churches, uh, some of these house churches, specifically in this province of Crete, which is where Titus is going to be commissioned or assigned as an apostolic ambassador, you know, through the authority, we're fixing to read that in just a second, through the authority given by the author of the Bible or the primary author, which is the Holy Spirit, given to the secondary author, uh, which in this case is Paul, human author. And then Paul just empowering and commissioning this brother, specifically with Titus, to convey the message to the church. And again, when you think about a state of the union, when you, when you think about speaking to the church and, and helping the church to refocus or realign uh, the life of the church, the, uh, the imperatives, the obedience of the church, I couldn't help but simply, again, because I did this for, for, for several years and many years as a pastor, is to reintroduce not necessarily just the church, but obviously the meaning or the understanding of the church is based on the, on the groom, on the person of Christ. And this is why what I did for many years, I invested on reintroducing not only what Jesus said about himself, which is Christology, which is the person of Christ, but also what Jesus did, which is the work of Christ. And, and I want to I be very, very clear, and I want to kind of just, again, retouch on this subject, because I think this is important before we talk about the bride of Christ, which is, in this case, the church, obviously, or ecclesiology, if you want to use the biblical uh, terminology or the biblical you know, understanding and doctrine. Um, I, I want to make sure that 
it is extremely crucial that the combination of these two doctrines or these two components of the person and the work of Christ, that's exactly what the gospel is. The gospel is exactly what Jesus said about himself and everything else and what Jesus did based on what he said. Now, this is extremely important because we are in a time and age, which I believe it was very similar to 2000 years ago, which in this case, you know, for Titus, as he is launched into this commissioning, into this endeavor, um, that tragically the church has misunderstood the, the concept of the gospel where the church has reversed the order. And any time that you begin with yourself or with the church or with a situation or your feelings or your thinking, even your theological biases and my personal preferences, whenever we begin with ourselves, we start creating a caricature, a mockery, a distorted image of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. And that's exactly what the problem was in these churches back then. And I guess you probably agree with me if I would tell you that's exactly where we are today. In other words, uh, in many churches, in many scenarios, and most of us, we have no problem with the church as long as God or the God that is proclaimed worship or the God that is being um, exalted in that specific church is the God that fits my needs, that simply endorses my personal preferences, my preconceived ideas, or simply comes and, 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 and supports my self-indulgence to whatever is it that I'm trying to do or trying to be. Well, that's exactly what the problem is. And this is why Paul, again, through the primary author of the scriptures as a secondary author Paul is going to come into the assignment that he has been entrusted with this gospel which is right here this is the gospel he's been entrusted with this gospel and now Paul is entrusting the gospel to Titus so Titus can find and literally uh, entrust this gospel to qualified men which in, uh, as a result now moves into the life of the church and then obviously creates the domino effect and creates that unstoppable force force which is that gospel through the local church now this is important for us to consider once again because the title of our series as I told you a while ago is learning to walk in Christ likeness so as a result of that if we can begin with Christ and then move into what Christ does based on what he says about him and everything else obviously it creates a concept of relationships and I'm using the word relationship because doctrine which is exactly what Jesus said he pro he, he preached he taught he, everything that he he spoke is the word of God which is doctrine right doctrine is always relational doctrine is based into a life style anytime that we divorce that we disconnect that we separate this two that's when we get into a lot of trouble a lot of misunderstanding and once again that's when we tragically create a caricature or a mockery of the gospel that eventually is translated into a caricature also of the local church. Apparently, 2,000 years ago, this was extremely important for Paul to reintroduce, once again, what Jesus said about himself and everything else, and then what Jesus did. If you can translate that into maybe think of this as, as the weekend, this is what Jesus did as his, you know, um, um, work of that passion of Christ, what he did. And then this is what happened, I guess, between that Friday and moving backwards. If you can think between Friday and the moment that he was born, which is basically his life style. Now, as you know, and, and, and I hope at this point, you know this, but for you to be saved, for you to be a follower of Christ, and for you to be a part of the bride of Christ, for you to belong to the local church, you have to understand we have 
have to understand and agree that salvation is the is 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 is, is a coin is one single experience with two phases. So is is the two phases of one single coin, implying that as much as we need for Jesus to die for us, which is again what he said about himself, and again he was he was destined, he was predestined, he was uh, said before the foundations of the world to come and suffer and then be buried and then obviously come alive from the graveside, resurrected from the graveside. As much as that is needed, also is needed for Jesus to live. He needs to die and he needs to live for us. That is, that's exactly that double experience, which is really one, it's, it's just the life of Christ, right? It's on what he says and what he did. Um, that's exactly what makes salvation available to us. Now, this is important for us to recognize once again, because tragically, 2,000 years ago, and, and again, I'm obviously biased and I'm obviously speaking with a lot of preconceived ideas because of my personal struggles. And then the world that I lived in and the churches that I get to serve with, tragically, salva salvation, this is, this is the tragedy, salvation tragically has been changed or misunderstood as what we do. Salvation is not what we do. Salvation is not uh, my experience and my testimony and the change that I have, you know, gone through, which I, I am no one to question nor to uh, oppose what God has done, is doing, or will do in the lives of people. But what God does in our lives, does the result of salvation. In other words, salvation is exclusively what happened to Christ. Salvation is exclusively what Jesus said, what Jesus did. Salvation is a person, and that person is not us. We are the recipient of that salvation. Now, once again, this is extremely important because this church is, and as we know historically, this brothers, this pastor, this, you know, apostolic um, uh, uh, commissioning into the leadership, including Paul, they're going to go through seasons in life. This church is, it, it, historically, we know that eventually the church is going to be persecuted. When, when you're going through the valley of the shadow and death, as a follower of Christ, or you may completely disregard Christianity and you are not a follower of Christ. Regardless, when, when, when you go through uh, life, when, when things happen into your life, when, when situations, unexpected situations take, take place, what you don't want to do, you don't want to be found as an individual that everything is based on what you do and what I think. As important as it is of what we do, you know, behavior, uh, relationships, conduct, uh, personal decisions, they're extremely important. But they cannot be the epicenter of our being and our identity. Once again, especially when you're facing some of the most difficult seasons in life. This is why we want to make sure that, again, as followers of Christ, if we can come back into the understanding that we're going to learn to walk in Christ-likeness, it's because the walking in Christ-likeness, which again is the result of both, you know, is, is the two sides of one coin, um, and that's exactly why we were saved. And that implies that when we go through the valley of the shadow and death, when we go through the difficulties of life, that is going to come to the surface. You know, our, our character is going to come to the surface because what you want to see happening when the church, when the family, when finances, when relationships are going through difficulties, which I'm fixing to show you, these churches are going to go through those things. They're facing those difficult scenarios. What you want to see come to the surface is precisely what Jesus said about himself, what Jesus said about the church, what Jesus said about, and you fill in the blank. You want to make sure that we are the generation that we know how to articulate the words of Christ. And I'm going to say this one more time. 
based on the words of Christ? Well, we do not have the right. You don't have the right. I don't have the right to simply take the words of Christ and then create whatever meaning or application of those words can potentially, again, uh, be embraced in whatever scenario of life you may find yourself. This is why the words of Christ are connected to the meaning of the words of Christ. So once again, this, this brothers, this apostles, these secondary authors of the Bible, human authors, the part of the assignment was simply to reveal or to reintroduce the words of Christ. But because of the life of Jesus, because of 33 years of walking, you know, on, on this earth, Jesus, the apostles are going to close the gap between the, the words, the teaching, um, the, again, the, the, the doctrine of Christ and the meaning. What does that mean? In my context, in my scenario, they're going to close that gap because what they're going to do, they're going to, again, reintroduce or re, um, uh, I guess, connect for us the understanding that it's not enough to simply believe uh, in Jesus. Eventually, you're going to have to believe Jesus. Now, specifically for this churches, and again, I mentioned earlier that these are um, what is called occasional letters, that something is going on. Apparently, this is what is going on in the church in this time in, in history. Um, one of them has to do on Titus being commissioned and trained on teaching and again, entrusting the gospel, entrusting the words and the meaning of the words of Christ um, so they can identify false teachers. And this is a major problem because false teaching typically happens um, in what is called uh, uh, I guess blind spots is something that just, you know, very strategically and obviously Satan, which is the father of lies, um, he, is, he, he has this ability to really camouflage himself to the point that tragically, whether it's churches or families or individuals or nations, that we fall into the following false teaching. Typically, it looks, it sounds very, in, in other words, Satan has the, the ability, he does have the ability very, very, um, powerfully and 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 again uh, he, he's a master of disguise where he is able to counterfeit pretty much everything i will argue except love that's why we need to be known by the love that we have for one another but in this case um, that was a problem uh, with uh, again multiple um, i guess currents or multiple uh, 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 just influences in sex and um, and you can talk about gnosticism and judaism it's a mixture of things that have been you know, infiltrated into the church, and tragically, uh, the church is in need of apostolic leadership, apostolic revelation, obviously, again, coming from the scripture with authority given by the Holy Spirit to speak into the lives of these people. The second thing is how to deal, because this is kind of a, a, a kind of a domino effect. When you have twisted doctrine, then you're going to have, I, I, I said earlier, that doctrine is relational. So, false doctrine is going to create false relationships. And in this case, uh, leadership in the church. Uh, the question is not whether the church has leadership or needs leadership. It's pretty obvious that the church always has leadership. The church is always going to be led by someone. The question is not whether there is leadership in the church. The question is whether that leadership is qualified. That's the only question. And there is no way to know whether an individual is qualified or the individual has disqualified himself unless you know, we know it, doctrine. We know, once again, the words of Christ and the meaning of the words of Christ, which is obviously the scriptures. And then lastly, um, uh, Paul is going to write to Titus uh, to bring the conversation into the encouragement, into, again, the, the I guess, uh, the, the motivation to walk 
in Christ likeness or towards godliness. Because again, tragically, um, once you get those two things in, in place and the church is facing this, what suffers the most is precisely the reason, uh, the purpose why the church exists. And the church exists for the same reason that everything, everything else exists, is to proclaim the fame, the majesty, the glory, the holiness of God. That's why we exist. We don't exist for ourselves. We don't exist to proclaim or to you know accentuate our agenda. It's exactly why what you don't want to do, you don't want to reverse this order. You always want to begin with what Jesus said. So whatever you say, whatever I say must be what Jesus said. And then whatever we do, what you do and what I do must must be what Jesus did once again because this is exactly why we are saved and obviously that this right here what I'm giving you what we're describing which is the antidote of the of the difficulties or the challenges in the church back then which is it is today now this right here must lead us it always always brings us into community this this is not you began the conversation with these components of the words of Christ or the person of Christ and the, in the life of Jesus um, at a personal level, you do not do this individually. You do this corporately. So if or since you have embraced, believed what Jesus believed, and then you have embraced and you see Christ's likeness walking towards the life of Christ as the goal, this draws you not necessarily into a better relationship, into a better understanding, into a deeper, uh, all of that, I, I definitely don't oppose. What this draws you into is what Jesus values the most, which is his church and what's what Jesus is coming again, again to um, uh, again reconnect and to bring into himself, which is the local church. So this is what the Bible says. This is how Paul begins the conversation with Timothy, and this is extremely important because this is how he's going to teach us how the church is given in the reality. This is the real church, not the ideal church. This is the real church. This is the reintroduction of the gospel. This is, or maybe introduction for the first time for some of them, and then or for some of us, and then again moving us into what that means. The meaning is extremely important because again, the words of Christ obviously must be applied. Doctrine is always applicable. Doctrine is always in the context of relationships. Doctrine is always moving us into Christ-likeness or obedience. So Paul speaking says that he is a bond servant of God. This is definitely a title. This is definitely a connection to some of the titles given into the Old Testament. Again, this is the Bible of this people. It's the Bible of Paul, the Bible for the church and the New Testament. And Paul is trying to bring into not only the apostolic authority that what he's describing, he's presenting to them to them is, is more than just philosophy. See, what Paul is, you got to remember the scenario, the imagery of these letters is the imagery of a legal uh, confrontation on a courtroom. And, and Paul is having this dispute where, where, where he's writing his uh, speaking, he's conveying this message, obviously through this um, apostolic commissioning to Titus, uh, with the understanding that there is opposition, and the opposition are the false teachers, those false teachers who are already present in the life of the church. So, so Paul is establishing from the very beginning that as a secondary author of the scriptures, I'm speaking from the anointing, from the inspiration of the primary author, which is the Holy Spirit, and I'm speaking to the life of the church, to the point that he also describes himself as a sent one, which is the word apostle of Jesus Christ. So whether it's the bondservant, 
or whether it is the apostleship or the apostle uh, Paul as a sin one, I want you to see how both of those components, both of those descriptions, they depend on the object. The object is God and the object is Jesus Christ, meaning these are not my words. This is what Paul is arguing. This is not something that I came up with. This is not just, again, ideas or, or just, again, new philosophies. This is God speaking to the church. That's what 2,000 years ago brings into this conversation. And then he, this, this is the beauty of the conversation. Listen to the scriptures. For the faith of those chosen of God. Now, again, because this is a confused church or confused churches, uh, which <laughs> tragically, that's exactly where we are today. We're just confused people. Um, this concept of faith, uh, I can picture two potential um, emphasis, uh, which I, I think it is to be included. What I'm about to say, those two emphases needs to be included every single time that we convey, that we expose, that we present, we make an exposition of the gospel. Uh, the person of Christ and, and, and the work of Christ always emphasizes potentially um, the, the presentation and the necessity for the individual to put their trust in Christ to trust the trustworthiness of Jesus. So maybe for the first time, once again, people who were reading these letters, they needed to put their trust in Christ because they were trusting someone or something else. Which, by the way, this concept of trust in Christ is a very exclusive, it's a very unique, it's a very um, uh, ex uh, experience where, where is Christ and Christ alone. It's faith alone and Christ alone. And I'm saying this because, again, 2,000 years ago, a lot of people said yes to Christ and something else. 500 years ago, the reformers, that's exactly what they opposed. That's exactly what they protested against, that the church was for Christ, but something else. Now, again, would it be possible that that's exactly where we are today? Would it be possible that we're extremely spiritual today? Would it be possible that Jesus is, is, is not necessarily, you know, most people don't argue, don't complain against Jesus as long as is Jesus in something else. And again, I can, I can give you so many examples through social media because tragically, social media gives you a lot of this Jesus and something else, which is a, is a contradiction of terms. So, so again, this faith is the understanding that this is the gift of God given to the individual for that individual to have the ability to be empowered to say yes to the gospel, which again, the gospel is, once again, the person of Christ, the words of Christ, what Jesus said about himself and everything else, and then what Jesus did based on what he said. That's exactly the gospel. Now, the second thing that I can think of with the word faith, not only that uh, kind of an initial faith, uh, trusting in the trustworthiness of Christ. But now is a concept for all of us that we are followers of Christ, um, is a concept of faithfulness, is a concept of enduring, is a concept of perseverance, is a concept of understanding that Jesus says faithfulness, which again, that's the work of Jesus, the, the missiology, the mission of Christ has been given, imputed, entrusted to us. So if, if, or since we are saved, we're saved to emulate, we're saved to follow the steps of Christ, which faith is translated into faithfulness. Why? Once again, because 2,000 years ago, the church is dealing with false teaching. And anytime that you add something else to the person or to the work of Jesus, you have been, I have been found unfaithful. And that's something that God is not going to tolerate. There will be consequences, and the church is paying consequences, high consequences on that regard. And then he says, obviously, for those chosen of God. The concept of choosing, the concept of, again, the God who chooses, the God who, uh, and again, we, we can spend the remaining of our time together speaking of the 
uh, again, the, the doctrine of, of, of God uh, choosing or election or predestination. But I, I'm going to preach you just very, very simple, okay? And again, you, you don't have to agree with anything that I'm saying. Uh, I'm, I'm trying for us to go back into the scriptures and get the conversation going. And, and if you need to, or I'm, I'm, I'm inviting you to go in and spend time in the Bible um, just dealing with some of these things. This concept of choosing or election, if you go back with me or can move forward into the conversation now uh, between uh, Peter in, uh, in those churches uh, who are the, the churches of the dispersion. And, and, and as they disperse, I'm speaking of First Peter, Second Peter, Peter reflects and Peter reintroduces the doctrine of election or choosing, once again, the faith, right? To have, to believe, to have the ability to believe that God has chosen me and the choosing is not, the ability to trust is not that the trust becomes an indictment, a loophole that if I trust, if I confess, if I say yes, if I, if I believe what Jesus said about himself, and if I do what Jesus did, if I can do that, my circumstances will change. First Peter is written in a very difficult scenario, moving towards even harder difficult scenarios. What's the point? The point is that this concept of choosing or election, Peter introduces, Peter speaks of election, speaking of the elected one, which is Christ, that he is the cornerstone. And that we are, through Christ, those who put our trust in Christ, we are living stones. Now, here's the point. That the choosing of Christ, which obviously is choosing one to choose many, right? From Abraham to, and then you know the story, Abraham to his family, to the nation of Israel, is the choosing for choosing other. Watch this. Now, Peter will say, now, Christ is the cornerstone that through him, by faith, makes us living stones. But in the same breath, God, the same God who chose Christ to be the the cornerstone also chose him, Christ, to be rejected by the builders of the edifice. What's the point? That the suffering, that in this case, the rejection of Christ is not simply the result of, again, confusion and betrayal in a government who is anti... Listen, it's, it's literally God before God, election, God, understanding, sovereignty, eternal redemptive plan that included not just Jesus Christ as the chosen one, and then us to be co-heirs with Christ, but also includes that rejection. Now, I'm saying this once again, because the church is facing a lot of opposition. The church 2,000 years ago is moving towards persecution. And that's exactly what we, we've got to be reminded. And once again, it's just the understanding, having the biblical understanding, what Jesus said, and then what Jesus did that we can navigate this. He, he closes by simply saying this, chosen of God in the knowledge. Watch this, in the knowledge. So, so, so again, this choosing, this electing through faith, right? Election, Jesus is the elected one. And those who put their trust in his trustworthiness, then we, we belong. We are part of that choosing generation, chosen generation. See, it's, 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 it brings us into the knowledge of the truth. Once again, remember, these letters are written to deal with confusion when it comes to knowledge, when it comes to truth. And for us, we understand that truth is a person. Who is that person? Again, that person is what Jesus said about himself and what Jesus did. It's the combination of those two things, which is only one thing. This is one person. So Paul is saying, you know, this, this understanding of faith, this understanding of being chosen of God or by God is for us to have the knowledge, the understanding, 
right? Because this is where the salvific experience is. This is where we, when we know that in spite of our circumstances, in spite of our unfaithfulness, in spite of me questioning whether I am one of those who chosen by God, watch this please, it's really having the understanding and that understanding of the truth. And the truth is found in a person. Jesus said about himself that I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And I'm bringing this up again because he says this is a according, this, this whole truth, this whole, again, knowledge of the truth is for the purpose, not simply to avoid false teaching, which is extremely important. It's not simply so you can have a healthier church or a healthier marriage or finances. But apparently for Paul, the win of everything that we have just introduced or said has to do with godliness or Christ-likeness. What's the point? That the church, and this is why we began the conversation here, that the purpose of the church is to literally embrace, believe, to welcome that person and affirm everything that this person said about himself. And then obviously, through the empowerment of the truth by the Holy Spirit, which again, the truth, the scriptures, eh, through the Holy Spirit, is that we are able to now be shaped, being, um, and again, this is so important, being shaped, being formed, right? Through the understanding of being chosen by God, not simply to be living stones, but also to be rejected by the builders. What's the point? That suffering becomes a vehicle. Suffering becomes a vehicle for us to walk in Christ's likeness. Now, this is where it gets really beautiful for me. This is an important component on the conversation. And this is what I hope you and I can focus our attention into the remaining of our time together. Because Paul says, it is in the certainty. The word hope in many, many times, occasions for Paul has to do with scatological component, the end times. And once again, you got to remember, the church is not having the easiest of time. Uh, historically, we know that the church is moving towards even more difficult times. So the doctrine of election, the doctrine, the, the understanding of certainty makes a whole lot of sense when you're facing the impossible. When you're going through the valley of the shadow and death, when everything that you are perceiving with your senses, your sight, your smell, your hearing, your touch, when everything is making no sense, the doctrine of election and predestination makes perfect sense. Why? Because it's the understanding that although the report from the doctor is not very positive, although marriage and, and family relationships, and, and you can go on and on in the brokenness of a Genesis 3 world, you hold on to what God has said, although everything seems to move in the opposite direction of what God has said. And this is why Paul says it is in the certainty and the certainty is of eternal life. The certainty is that although, although, and again, you can go through Psalm 23, although you can go through the book of Job, although you can, and again, you can go through so many experiences and you can have your testimony. I can have my, surely my, my experiences. The bottom line is this, that my certainty, my certainty is based on something that happened with ED at the end. Is something that happened. Eternal life is not about me simply changing, improving, believing. Eternal life is a person. Eternal life is what Jesus has done. Eternal life is literally an indicative. It's something that is in the past. It's unchangeable. It's unmovable. This is why thinking about losing your salvation is a contradiction of terms. Because as long as you understand that salvation is a person and that person determines why we are saved, that's exactly what they're struggling with. They, they, they have disregarded the reason, the purpose of why 
died, they were saved. That's exactly what, what we understand that life, eternal life, is about walking in Christ's likeness while we are on this earth. It's not simply when you go to heaven. So eternal life, the certainty of walking in Christ's likeness, which God, watch this, which God, again, the object of this eternal life is not the avoidance of hell. The, the object, the purpose of eternal life is not for us to have some sort of a certain thing, certainty just based on what we see. This is beyond what we see. It is connected to what we see and what we experience. But watch this, this certainty of eternal life, which is based on God, this is the God that cannot lie. What's the point? That the certainty, that the hope, that the certainty of eternal life is based on the certainty of the character of God. I don't know if you find that some, somehow helpful or hopeful, especially because you know, and I know that we are not known by our truthfulness. I just told you that this church is going through the confusion of doctrine. They have allowed the infiltration of corrupt leadership. They have allowed the infiltration of literally doctrines and statements that they are against the character of Jesus. So there is a bunch of lies going on in the life of the church. What do you do? Do you quit church just because the church did X, Y, and Z? Do you get divorced just because, again, watch this. See, whether it's church, whether it's life as a whole, whether it's, uh, again, family, uh, your very own life must be built in base, based on the character of the God who doesn't lie. This is where the certainty of life begins. This is why Christianity is such a, it makes perfect sense, especially if you're questioning, especially if you're tired, especially if you are in a situation where it's habitual, the concept of lying, the concept of being surrounded by, you know, just uh, difficulties in life where, where you know that your soul was not created for that. This is why Paul is saying, hey, the certainty of eternal life is based on God who cannot lie. And again, this is the God who promised before the foundation of the world that he will accomplish what he said he was going to accomplish. This, see, the beauty of this is that we are looking at this through a rear view mirror, something that has taken place. Now the church, which many of these people are eyewitnesses of the person of Christ. Many of these people are second generation Christians, like Paul, like some of these guys. Listen, listen this is the moment that, once again, regardless of the circumstances, what, what, what we have read so far, especially when we go through verse 1, when you look at verse 2, is, 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 is the empowerment. Verse 1 is the empowerment to perceive the immediate through the ultimate. Some of you need to write this down. I'm going to say this again because this has to do a lot with the theology and the understanding of suffering. And although this is not about suffering, but I, I really, I really want you, want for us to really make the connection, especially with verse 2, everything that I just explained, that if you are willing, if you are tonight, um, you are willing to simply understand the authority of the Scriptures and the authority of the Scriptures to reintroduce the person of Christ and the work of Christ for the purpose that you will put your trust and your faithfulness. So initial faith and then continual faith into the understanding that it is God who initiated that faith. That faith is a gift. It's a gift and the ability to believe everything that God has said. And then you go into the remainder of this to walk in Christ in Christ likeness. Watch this, please. Is that you're going to be, you, you're going to be empowered. This is, see, this is the beauty. You're going to be empowered in the context of, in the context of community through the truth. You're going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to process, watch this, to process the immediate, what you are facing today, to process whatever, whatever it is that you're dealing with today. You're going to be empowered, not necessarily to change it, not necessarily to avoid it. Whatever you're going through, 
It may change. It may improve. I have no clue, whatever that might be. But you have been promised to process whatever you're going through, through the ultimate. And the ultimate is not necessarily just what you are facing today. The ultimate is that there is a God in heaven who has given you the certainty based on the character of Christ that there is life which is eternal. And this life literally allows us to remember that this is literally not because you believed, not because you are the son or the daughter or you grew up in church. It's because God established this before the foundations of the world. If you are going through life right now, and you have lost the ability, or you have never heard of facing the immediate through the ultimate. The invitation is very clear, because this is what Paul says in verse 3. But at the proper time, in other words, if this is hard for you to believe, in all that you know, all that you have experienced as a Christian, or maybe as someone who used to believe or don't believe anymore, whatever the case may be, all that you're seeing and all that you're perceiving is the, you're perceiving the immediate through the immediate. If all that you know is grief and loss, or maybe today you are proud and you're prideful, maybe today you feel extremely secure, or maybe you're bored and you have lost in your passion and your drive, and you're just going through the motions, whatever, the, whatever the, that may be, he, he, here's what Paul will say. Paul will say, but, he, here's a connector, here's a transition of everything. So if you're missing verse 2, now, Verse 2, verse 2 is based, once again, on what has happened, what has taken place. Because the Bible says that at the proper time, I love this, because again, he's taking us into, this is, this is, verse 3 is the antidote of you and I trying to take notes and say, okay, what do I need to do? No, 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 listen, what you need to do and, and, and there's things that we need to do, and we're fixing to do some things, is based on what, what has been done. This is extremely important because our tendency is just give it to me, put it in a simple form, give it to me in, in bullet points, and I'm willing to do it. I'm committed. I've been in church long enough. See, watch this. Is Paul saying, at the proper time, revealed. Who did this? Well, it wasn't you and I. The proper time, reveal. His word, not your word, not my thinking, not your preconceived ideas, but it was His word in the proclamation. So, so apparently what enables and empowers the church to process the immediate through the ultimate is what God has said. And what God has said is what Jesus has said, which eventually the words of God, which is which are the words of Christ, that word which was given to us in a written form was pointing towards the word of God that eventually became flesh. So it wasn't just a covenant that was written in the in, on, on, on tablets of stone, but it was a covenant that eventually was written, was given, was imputed, was accredited, was literally internalized and put in the hearts of men. This is why we've been transformed. We've been change because watch this it was reveal his word in proper time reveal his word in the proclamation which Paul is doing he's proclaiming he is again introducing or presenting which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God our Savior so 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 here's what I like for you guys to do and again as we close our time today is that the beauty of this conversation is not that God is going to simply change things is he going to change things I don't know. Is he going to ultimately change things? Yes. 
This is why the prosperity gospel, which is not gospel at all, um, is, is definitely too early in this whole uh, proclamation because they proclaim that God is going to change things for you right now. And, 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 and there is no guarantee things are going to change immediately, but eventually they will. So a lot of what these people proclaim and, and teach on the prosperity gospel will take place more than likely, potentially, after we die or Jesus returns. What's the point? Here's the point. Here's the point. Listen to this. So, so again, uh, the, the revelation uh, of His Word. So God revealed His Word because revealing His Word, God is revealing His character. And He's the God who cannot lie, right? So He cannot lie. Before the foundations of the world, He established, He set the pattern. He knew exactly how it was going to unfold. And, and, and the conversation, the relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit brings salvation into the world that anybody, whosoever, put their trust in Christ is going to be able, watch this, it's going to be able, that this word, and this is, Paul is one of those recipients of the entrusting of the word. So Paul not only was changed by the word of God, which is Christ made flesh, Jesus Christ changed his life. But now this entrusted, this change created an entrustment, this entrusting. Now, Paul says, I've been saved to be a steward of what saved me and who saved me. This is why he says, I was entrusted according to the commandment of God our Savior. All that I'm trying to tell you is that, once again, because there's no guarantee that things are going to change right now. There's no guarantee uh, guarantee that things are going to improve. What, what Paul is reminding the church through Titus is that one of the main focuses, one of the main purposes of walking in Christ-likeness is for us to be reminded that we have been entrusted as managers, as stewards, which is exactly what happened back in Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, Adam, tragically, instead of being a manager, a steward of everything, and literally uh, uh, owner of nothing, because he owned nothing, Adam tragically reversed the order, and he tried to behave, to act like he was... He wanted to be like God, so he wanted to be the owner of everything and then manager of nothing, which means he didn't want any accountability. Uh, Paul is saying, you got to reverse the order in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the one who um, did not consider to be owner of everything. He literally, um, uh, he, 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 he detached himself from that. He became a servant, and then in the condition of servant, he literally took our place at the cross, and then he became the steward of that salvation. So now we're able to be entrusted in Jesus Christ, and the entrustment, what is the entrusting, uh, the, the managing, the concept of a steward based on the relationship, is based on the commandments of God, our Savior. It's not something that we have to do. It's something that we get to do because God is our Savior. There, there's no better way for us to close our time than to look at verse 4, because this is where the personal component comes into place. And on verse 4, it is Paul, once again, reminding the churches, reminding the audience that he's writing through the primary author, which is the Holy Spirit, is speaking a secondary author, which is him as, a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as an apostle, as a human being, speaking and commissioning Titus and saying to Titus, my true Son, listen to the language of my Savior in previous verses. Speaking of, again, God the Father, Jesus Christ, our, all this familial language. Now he speaks and says, he is my true son in common faith. Again, what brings us together is the stewardship, is the stewardship what we've been entrusted, which is the word that is for whosoever, whosoever. It's, this is the common faith. And again, here's the beauty of the common faith. The common faith is that it brings, look at, look at this. This is extremely important. The common faith, the ability to trust, 
But we have been entrusted. This message of reconciliation is not the promise that things are going to change. It's simply the promise that in the context of difficulties, calamities, in the context of whatever is going on, you will experience the grace of God, which is translated into the shalom, into the, into the orchestration of things where the peace of God becomes a reality. Now, folks, uh, th this is where I have to really come back to us and be reminded of the grace and the peace of God. Because apparently for Paul, this is the win. Paul is speaking to Titus. Titus, you're walking into not the ideal church. You're walking into persecution. You're walking into churches who are already set in their ways, in their minds. And you're going to find opposition. Paul is speaking to Timothy. And what God is promising to you, what God is literally entrusting to you, what God is making you a steward of when it comes to the Word of God, is that as you remain faithful, Titus, you remain faithful to what Jesus has said and what Jesus has done, which is the gospel. What you can experience at the end is grace and is peace. Now, once again, listen to me for a second. This concept of grace and this concept of peace is not simply the absence of a struggle and, and repercussion and conflict and divisiveness. For us, grace and peace is a person. For us, it's the character of Christ, the aroma of Jesus in the midst of difficulties. Now, this is important, once again, because we said at the beginning that we never begin with ecclesiology. We don't begin with the church. We begin with Christology, which is Christ, the person of Christ. And then we move into the lifestyle of Christ, which is missiology. So Christology, missiology, the person, and then the work of Christ. And then we go into ecclesiology. Then we talk about the church. Then we talk about, you know, life and marriage and sexuality and everything else. Watch, watch this, please. Because if you reverse the order, which the church has done, reverse the order, and we begin with ourselves. We begin with, and we come to the scripture, just trying to figure out what the, what God is saying to me. No, no, it's not what God says to me. It's what God has said, and whatever He has said, that is applicable to us, in a sense of us collectively understanding the message of salvation, what we've been entrusted with. Not Again, this is important, because this grace and peace, tragically, as the church, as our generation begins with ourselves, continues and perpetuates the self-centeredness, tragically, this grace, this mercy has been perceived instead of voluntary, because that's what grace is. Grace is something that God gives. But in other words, grace and peace, oh my goodness, this is important. Grace and peace is a reminder in the context of craziness, in the context of calamity, grace and peace is the understanding that although I'm going through the valley of the shadow and death, because it's voluntary, this means that God owes me absolutely nothing. And I'm saying this because when many, many, many of us, when we go through difficulties, when we go through the unthinkable, we, our reaction is that if or since this is real and God is merciful, see, He owes it to me. So I shouldn't be going through this and that in this scenario. And we start acting and behaving instead of stewards. Instead, we start acting with entitlement as if God owes me something. And you and I know that God owes us absolutely nothing. Now, watch this. When it comes to grace, tragically, at the very beginning, we were surprised with it. Then eventually we're used to it. We expected it. We assumed it. And for many of us, we are demanding. So once again, Paul speaking to Titus says, as you walk into the church, as you navigate difficult scenarios, as you navigate false teaching and corrupt leadership, and very, very, very confused people, I want you to understand that what you get at the end is the ability to remind yourself that grace is voluntary. So by grace is that we have been saved through faith, not by works. So no one shall boast. 
but it is that grace and the grace of God is verse 10 on Ephesians chapter 2, which tells you the reason why you were saved. And again, it's for that workmanship, for us to walk in the image of Jesus Christ. And this is why, this is why he closes by saying it is in grace and peace from God, the Father which is the God who cannot lie, is the God who set everything in motion before the creation of the world. And watch this. He did this in and through Jesus Christ, which is, what is it? Who is Jesus? Jesus is our Savior. And again, this is kind of a, a word played into the character of God and the character of Christ as the first person, second person of the Trinity. What's the point? What's the point? That this grace and peace that God has promised to you, that is available to you today, is only available to you if we understand and we affirm that for the grace and peace of God to be accessible to Titus, to Paul, to the church 2,000 years ago, for you and I, had to be, this is the prerequisite, this is had, had to happen before, is available to you, is for you and I to believe that this very same Jesus Christ had to be, had to experience exactly the opposite of grace, which in this case will be judgment. See, Christ is the one who became the recipient, the object of the vengeance of God, because everything that we describe is exactly the opposition of the character of God. The church was in trouble. Most of us, we are in trouble because we have positioned ourselves voluntarily against the character of God. We have literally defined God. We have moved against the nature of God and we were born enemies of God. And because of that, for you and I to experience the grace of God, not necessarily the changing of circumstances, but to find God in the context of circumstances, you and I must understand that it was in the context of loneliness and betrayal, in the context of Jesus praying and asking and crying, if it is possible, the night that he was betrayed, the night that he was literally judged and illegally uh, trial, he's crying out to the Father and saying, if it is possible, if it is possible, would you bring this grace to me? And the Father said no. If it is possible in the context of, of again, of, uh, of being uh, betrayed by my people, in the context of loneliness, if it is possible, if you do not turn your back on me. And God did. God forsook His very own Son. So today, you and I can have access to this grace and peace. So grace and peace is found to what has been done. And what has been done is that the Father literally turned his back on the Son. What has been done is that the Son was forsaken, is that the Son, who knew no sin, for our sake became sin. That's where the conversation begins. That's exactly where we engage in a conversation tonight. So if you are in need, or since you and I are in need of the grace of God and the peace of God, we simply begin by saying, thank you, Jesus, for becoming the recipient of the vengeance, of the justice, of the anger of God. Thank you for becoming the object where God poured His wrath on Jesus in the person of Christ. And that wrath, that justice took Him into a graveside. But on the third day, because of the perfection, because of the obedience, because of the holiness and the righteousness of Jesus Christ, He rose from the death. And when He came out of the graveside, it was grace and peace that not only that He experienced by reconciling with the Father and becoming and getting and, 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 and positioning Himself once again with that cosmic lordship, with that authority that 
he, he was given the name that is above every name. Now watch this. All of that was imputed, given, translated, and accredited to the church. That today, this is something that belongs to us. This is something that He has given us voluntarily. And that He finds, God finds joy by entrusting, by giving that grace and that peace. So we become now agents of reconciliation. So now we become part of the body of Christ, which has been commissioned to proclaim the character, the nature of that same Jesus that was forsaken, which now rules, which now He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I do hope that you are willing, that you have, and that you are more than secure based on the character of Jesus, based on the work of the Father, that you are able to proclaim and to feel, to experience, to know, to have the knowledge that the grace of God and the peace of God is accessible to you. That is, the God who finds joy in giving it to you and allowing you to experience it in the midst of whatever you're facing today, that you will see the grace and the peace of God. Thank you for connecting tonight. We would love to hear from you as we continue the conversation on the book of Titus. I'd love for you guys to come back next week as we move into the following verses. God bless and have a wonderful week.